Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today is July 16th, we're on episode 139. My name is Tyler. Of course you have Pratik and Nick here as well. Before we start the show, we always dive right into it. Want to give a, a little mention, please follow, please share the podcast. We really do appreciate it. I, I know it seems like a small thing, but to us it really matters, especially headed towards these debates as things are getting hot in the political arena. So with that, we're going to be moving right straight into the polls we have this week. So, Pratik, what's going on? Okay, so I want to update you guys on the GOP primary polling. So right now, as it stands, Trump is still number one, according to the YouGov poll that was conducted between July 8th and July 11th. Then Ron DeSantis is at at 20% at number two, and then it's everybody else. So Pence is at 6% at three, Haley's at 3%, um, Tim Scott is at 3%, um, Christie is at 2%, Ramaswamy's at 2%, and then Hutchinson, Suarez, Burgum, Hurd, and Elder are all at 0%. So that's among all the current hopefuls. Again, everyone's trying to run for president from the Republican Party compared to the Democratic side, where it's just Kennedy, Biden, and um, Marianne Williamson. While on the other side, when you deal with just the presidential polling, um, because Trump is the front runner, all the all the polls are being, primarily being done between Trump and Biden. And when those polls, Trump is at 40% and Biden is at 39%. And then there was another poll that was done by YouGov as well, which had Biden and Trump both tied at 42%. So that's what we have for the polls. <clears throat> Do you guys have any questions or thoughts or you know, ideas on what's going on with the polling? Is this the first time we've seen Trump actually ahead of Biden no. in a poll? Last week. No. Yeah, we saw that last, last week, week. Okay. by like 1%. Last two, three weeks, there's been a trend which has seen Trump actually going above Biden. And I don't know what's causing that. I mean, it's Biden being old and it's Trump being in the news all the time. It is. And I think Trump just bringing that energy that Biden doesn't have. And this is going to be Biden's biggest issue. It's actually a, a, a really exciting people, getting them invigorated, excited to vote for him. And that's what he lacks. It's like he might be the solid pick. He might be the no-brainer pick. Of course, we have Biden. He won against Trump last time. But by that same token, the guy doesn't inspire anyone. And he constantly gaffes. And the gaffes are becoming somewhat more frequent. And we're seeing it on the world stage now for instance in nato we'll get to that that gaffe later but like i just don't think people are excited about biden and that's certainly hurting him when trump you know is starting to make a name for himself again he's so good at attracting attention he's really good at getting people to like him and almost forget what he had done in the past and with that i think he's really taken advantage and you know seen a boost in the polls here what are you guys thoughts i just totally disagree with you guys so i don't think it's because biden is old i don't think it's because of any of that i think it's because of what's going on with hunter biden the fact that charges were actually filed against him that it was actually found in a court of law that he had some wrongdoing plus you add in the cocaine stuff and all that other stuff like biden himself once once he has a personal flaw in the last campaign cycle trump is a man of many flaws Hillary Clinton in 2016, people didn't like Hillary Clinton because she, you know, as much as she tried to sort of whitewash it and say, oh, I have this stellar record, she didn't. She wasn't squeaky clean. She had the emails. She had Benghazi. She had all this stuff that you could put on her and say Hillary Clinton is bad. Therefore, even though Trump himself for all of his flaws, Hillary Clinton is a bad person. And therefore, it it doesn't really matter that Trump is also bad. Um, For Biden running last time, it was seen as, oh, he's this normal guy. He's fine. And now it's starting to be seen as Joe Biden himself has issues. It's not just that he's old. It's not just that he's out of touch and he's low energy. Now it's him and his family are financially corrupt. And that is the story right now. And I think that's why he would end up losing support. 
See, I don't know. I mean, it could be a multiple variety of different things. I also just think that in general, Democrats are not that the people that are like kind of on the fence are not that enthusiastic about, about Biden. And I do think that on the flip side, a lot of Republicans may not be enthusiastic about Trump, but those are there's like 15 other candidates that they can all like, you know, spill from to decide if they like Trump or not. The other problem with Trump, though, is that I guess not a problem this is benefit is that Trump does have a solid voter base. Trump has people that are going to go out of their way to only support Trump. And if Trump is not their candidate, they won't even vote for the Republican Party. They don't care. So I think that's one benefit that Trump has that Biden doesn't have. Like there's not people that are going to be like, oh man, Biden's not the candidate. I'm never going to vote for the Democratic Party. Those people inside. are traitors. Like, that's <laughs> I not won't be happen. sending in my mail-in ballot from the comfort of my couch. <laughs> but see, I think that's the problem, and that's the benefit of Biden. I think Biden is everybody's second favorite candidate. Biden's a candidate that nobody cares about, but he's done enough to be better than everybody else. And I just think the problem with the Democratic side is, even if everyone's, everyone was running in the Democratic side, just like the Republican side, Biden would still be number one. And I think the main reason for that is just because all these other people are really not that good. This is the problem with either side is that you actually don't have really good candidates on either end. You have you have candidates to have like the potential to be good. You have candidates to sound exciting. You have some candidates that appeal to a certain voter base or a certain demographic. But people like Biden and Trump, for all it's worth, appeal to a larger mass of people. There's a larger base that they captivate and there's more people that support them than not because in the end of the day, they're more moderate than their other counterparts. And, and yet, Pratik, at the same time, they're some of the most disliked public figures. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like that are around today. So, I actually think I this mean, is I take my, your point, though. And that's what my theory is. You know, we talked about this last episode is like Joe Manchin, if Joe Manchin runs... There's gonna he's gonna actually split votes from both sides. Obviously, the the chances of More Trump Democrats winning will votes, be yeah. higher if Manchin mm-hmm. runs. But still, like I do think Manchin will eat other people's votes because Manchin is like an actual moderate. Like there, I mean, if you wanted to pick like an actual moderate candidate, Joe Manchin is the moderate candidate. So L- let me ask you guys this: If Joe Biden was four years younger. Do you think it would be fine for him to run unopposed? Obviously, he's very old and it is concerning. But if he was like four years younger, eight years younger, do you think it would be the same conversation as trying to get more Democrats into the race? We had that situation. I mean, four years ago when he ran for president the first time, people were already saying he was low energy, that he was losing it. So I don't think much. He was he was our Jeb. He was your Jeb Bush. That's no, I think Jeb Bush is much quicker than uh, Biden is. But Jeb Bush did. He just got run over by Trump. And, and like going back to Trump, he, Trump is a cultural icon. He's actually the only politician today that I would say is a cultural icon. I wouldn't even say that of DeSantis, who only focuces on cultural issues. True. So good, good, good luck beating that when everyone knows this guy and love him or hate him. We all know him and DeSantis knows him, but refuses to talk about him. So let's talk about that. The fact that DeSantis, you know, in the polls, he's doing okay. He's at what, 20% to Trump's 49%. But man, every time I see this guy in the news, it's some negative press. It's this guy refuses to go after Trump. His donors are pissed off. They're like, what are you doing? Like, you're not even, you're, we're giving you all this money, but you're, you're, you're doing nothing with it. And because of that, people are just super frustrated. They thought DeSantis would be this great, you know, secondary option to Trump. But if Trump just doesn't show up on the debate stage, DeSantis is so screwed, it's unbelievable. So, this story is called, Gotta Cash Your Way to the Top. 
The 2024 presidential race is shaping up with distinct fundraising patterns. Trump and DeSantis lead Republicans with impressive support, showcasing their strong grassroots backing and financial advantage. Biden holds a significant edge among Democrats thanks to his substantial fundraising. Pence, Hutchinson, Suarez, and Elder face hurdles in gardening funds, which may impact their viability and participation in debates. Kennedy Jr., or aka RFK Jr., shouldn't be overlooked as he has secured noteworthy support as well from fundraisers, and the evolving fundraising landscape sets the stage for a competitive campaign where candidates must strategically allocate resources to gain momentum and secure their party's nomination. As the race unfolds, the true picture will emerge and the contenders will continue to vying for success in their pursuit for the presidency. And I think the main issue here is just that everybody else is pretty useless. There's really only like two candidates from the GOP that have actually have actual fundraising numbers that is like, you know, worthwhile that actually gives them a shot. And that is Trump and DeSantis. Trump, for all it's worth, has his own way of um, collecting fundraising. He's one of the only presidents that ran without taking a salary. He literally had a dollar salary a year or something crazy like that. I think the benefit of Trump, too, is Trump has a lot of, like, regular people that will donate money to his campaigns. He's not getting those big box, like, you know, corporate, you know, icons that are donating millions, as opposed to somebody like Ron DeSantis and, you know, Joe Biden. And that's historically what happens with most candidates, where the main, you know, front runners are the ones getting money from these big, you know, corporations and these big companies. While Trump, for all it's worth, despite being a billionaire, he is like the person that is like has been seen as not receiving a lot of money from corporate um, icons. And many of these corporations have tried to distance themselves from Trump, which has been a big thing and big storyline recently, too. So Nick and Tyler, you got any thoughts on the fundraising? Part of the advantage of being Trump is he can raise money whether he's running for office or not. Yeah. Just as a businessman, having that brand, if he put up a website tomorrow with his merch, he'd be making millions of dollars. So, I mean, that's just like an easy advantage. You're known all across the country, you have enough people like you that they're going to support you through this campaign. I think tr Trump's going to be fine in terms of funding. Um, but then you look at someone like, I, I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but someone like Chris Christie, he was able to get 45,000 individual donors already at this point, which also says maybe there's some grassroots funding there for people that don't like Trump as much. Maybe there is a wing of the Republican Party that is going, we need to fund some of these other candidates, you know, just to have all other options. Because I think people are, despite what the polls are saying, people are still frustrated that Trump is their best choice. I think a large part of the GOP is like, why did it's almost like what Biden was in the past? It's like we have this guy, we know he can perform decently well, but God damn it, can't we have anyone that's reasonable running for office? Anyone else that doesn't have the kind of baggage that he and has? What I would say is that that exists. I mean, you just have too many candidates running in the race. If there was literally limited candidates in the race, like the Democrats have, where they literally have three people. If that was the Republican side then you would see a louder voice from the other minority candidates. Because literally, if you add up all the other percentage of the votes, you get like 36%. Trump's at 49%. That's not a big difference. But the problem is just that, you know, whenever other people run, it benefits Trump. Because all these other people just eat up each other's votes. Because the people that are anti-Trump don't know who they support. The people that are pro-Trump are going to support <laughs> Trump no matter what. It's, it's true. So, it's a true statement, yeah. But I would say yeah. that the breakdown is that not every person who, for example, Chris Christie, it's likely that someone voting for Chris Christie would probably end up going for DeSantis instead of Trump. Do you feel like that would be a fair, a fair point to make? I'm not sure if other people down the line 
So many other candidates, for example, DeSantis himself, if DeSantis dropped out, I guarantee that most Ron DeSantis supporters would end up just voting for Trump <laughs> in terms of the primary. Like, who else are they going to go for? Like, Maybe. I could definitely see that, you know, for some of these other candidates, for example, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, others, you know, it's a little bit it's a little bit more open ended whether or not those voters would prefer a more you know traditional establishment candidate versus someone like Trump. But at the same time, like DeSantis is someone that is here's the thing that gets me. All these candidates are running on Trump's message, but they're not Trump. Like, for example, Tim Scott, he was talking about border security. He said we should build a wall. It's like that. That is literally what Trump ran on. You know, you have other people like Asa Hutchins. As a Hutchins, right. as a Hutchinson, what's his name? That's like some Hutchinson, of the stuff yeah. that he was saying, that, like that's so it. much of it goes to. He's like, oh, you know, we shouldn't have. I, I believe this was him. I think he was on the stage with Tucker Carlson recently, um, where he was basically touting um, his record on some of the vaccine stuff, and you know, it. So much of what he was saying just sounds like something Trump would say, and I'm just wondering what the differentiating factors are like obviously they need to go after trump at a certain point chris christie is going to do that correctly but for all the others like if you're not going against the man and you're really trying to have a cohesive republican party that all agrees on the same thing i don't know it's it's this weird balancing act where you know you want the voters that are going to vote for trump you also don't want to like piss him off too badly because he's going to explode your campaign if you if you're the only one going after him he'll demolish you but if all of them gang up together it's like one of those old uh like prison what is it Sanford prison no it's not the prison experiment but it's one of those things where it's like if everyone chooses to cooperate and goes after trump it's good for all of them but if all of them choose no i'm just gonna stay back and let trump destroy my opposition it's better for them so you know it's that cash 22 i think what hit him with the numbers <laughs> i think another benefit though that trump has is that the, what you're what you just said that logic is that whenever you're going against trump you're constantly talking about trump trump is the center of that conversation benefits trump and i just think that's the thing with trump is that if he's there he's the only person being talked about nobody cares about ron DeSantis's campaign like nobody's like man what is ron DeSantis going to do with the military in ukraine who cares like you, but now, like if, if there was a conversation topic, oh, what did, what would Trump do? Trump has, you know, he, he has some like, you know, sympathies towards Putin. What would Trump do in this situation? Everybody's going to be like, oh, I'd be better than Trump because of this, or Trump doesn't do this. And I do this. Like you always bring up Trump in that conversation. And I think that's the benefit that Trump has. And I think that's the thing that all these other people need to figure out that like, all right, we need to like boost up our campaign. We need original ideas. All these other people don't have original ideas. And, you know, even even DeSantis is stealing, you know, Trump's way of just firing people to tell us about that. I'll get right into that. Um, I I do think it's a balancing act, but really it's going to take some like grassroots dirty politics to get over trump you gotta maybe show up to the places trump is about to go to and just rip him to shreds before all of like things like that they get you in the news and they'll get people's attention and you're going to be talking to the people that are going to attend these trump rallies that are going to you know vote for trump otherwise so i would like to see some more i i don't know if it's dirty politics just a little more strategic in your messaging i don't think it's simply about coming up with the or the right idea some like genius innovative idea that's going to get people to vote for you we saw someone like yang have all these innovative ideas but those don't connect to people people like simple messages but it's about packaging that in someone that can compete with trump and that's the biggest issue 
issue they're having. One one thing I want to add, Vic, was what you said. The only challenge, though, is that when we would go back in the day to 2015, whenever Trump ran, Trump won because of original ideas. There was no one else talking about building a border wall. There was no one else talking about like all this stuff that they wanted to do with immigration. There was no one else that was talking about like, you know, all these unfair trading practices and we need to stick it to China and all these countries and we need to rewrite all these trade deals. That's a Trump idea. There's no one else that came up with that. And ironically, but there was an appetite for that. It's not that he just came no, up no, with this see, idea magically. He would show up to these press conferences or whatever and say, oh, these people like what I'm saying about the but wall. Even then, Let's keep going with the wall. But even then. Like, I would argue, if you actually go back and read what Trump was arguing about or talking about and, you know, go back to see his interviews from previously before he ran, like, even in the 1980s, 90s, he was talking about the same stuff. If anything, Trump is a very consistent person. You know, we we always talk about Trump being a populist and all this stuff. Trump was a consistent person. Most of the ideas that he had that made him different are ideas that the Democratic Party used to have. Like, there's nothing special about what Trump was talking about. The irony about it, though, is that Trump is the one that actually talked about it way back in the day. And then when he ran, he literally just talked about what he knows about and what he talks about. And it worked. And I think the other irony about all that other stuff is just that, like, you know, we always forget that what do our parties stand for? What does our party stand for right now? What did our party stand for four years ago? But... What Trump argued about was literally what the Democratic platform was whenever Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama ran in 2008. He just took their ideas and was like, yo, I want to fight for this. And they're like, oh, no, this is going too far. He's like he's like being all anti the immigrants. He's against Mexicans, people. He's racist. And it's like you guys were talking about this in 2008 where you wanted to build this wall. You wanted to like do better immigration security and you wanted to have, you know, all these like different types of bills come out like DACA to try to, you know, restrict the amount of future immigrants that will come from Mexico. Back then, it was all right. But then when Trump does it, oh, man, he's racist. And like that's their irony is that Biden hasn't done anything different from Trump. So, so you're not wrong at all. But I, I will say, I think Trump's best attribute is his ability to touch the pulse of the people. And if the people had different ideas, I think MAGA would be different than what it is today. I don't think he was so ideological that he was unwilling to change his position if the people that were going to vote for him wanted some, to hear something else. So I think you're right. A lot of his messaging was probably consistent over time, but I don't think that was for any other reason than that garnered him votes. But with that, let's move on to our next favorite person in the Republican Party, DeSantis. So DeSantis channels his inner Trump. Hashtag you're fired. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is reducing his campaign staff. The exact number of dismissals is unknown, but reportedly fewer than 10 people. Major donors are concerned about DeSantis's performance in fundraising and spending. The campaign remains optimistic, citing growth, growing support, and a plan to defeat Joe Biden. Early staff cuts and financial adjustments indicate the need to regain lost momentum, and financial disclosures show significant spending, leaving $12 million in cash on hand. DeSantis maintains an advantage in Iowa polls compared to previous candidates. So what are you guys' thoughts on this reduction in campaign staff for DeSantis? Dude, this is the dumbest story of all time to me. Like, oh man, dude. <laughs> They lost like four people. Dude, we need this is outrage. What is DeSantis doing? Like, man, how can you fire four people, five people? This is too much. Less than 10. Oh, man, dude. Like the irony about it is like, imagine when Trump was running in 2016. How many people did Trump fire when he was in his GOP campaign? I think he had like four or five.
five different campaign advisors. Like, the irony about it is just, this is the funniest story to me. I don't think Ron DeSantis is going to go anywhere, but I'd also say that, like, he is the most formidable opponent to Donald Trump in the GOP. So, like, literally, he just has to, like, wait for the long haul and see what happens because all the other people may, you know, fall to him. But it's just funny to me that this is the funny, this is the top line story. Like, this is a New York Times headline story right here. Like, oh, Dron DeSantis, is this campaign falling apart? He's had to fire less than 10 people. We don't know how many yet. It could even be one person for all we know. But he's had to fire people. This is crazy. Listen, people like political (laughs) drama. They like intrigue. It's like, oh, what's going on? Like, you know, what's the deal with this campaign? What's the the latest news? It's like, you know, someone watching a reality TV show or whatever. It's, you know, it's political theater. It's theater. You know, we want to have these storylines. We want to have ridiculous things going on. And we want to know the intrigue and the gossip and what's going on behind the scenes. So I don't know. I can see why they're running it as a story. Plus, the New York Times doesn't make it, you know, they don't try to beat around the bush. They're clearly not fans or whoever the editorial board is that's like choosing the stories. They clearly don't like DeSantis. So that's that's clear. But in any case, um, for the story, what I think is the most interesting part of it is the political strategy of do you spend a lot of the money that you fundraised early in the middle or late? You know, the common idea right now is that you should spend it later, right? So let's say the primary process starts next year in 2024. That's when people are actually going to start voting for the Republican primary candidate. It's like, should you spend closer to the primary so that everyone like, you know, a week before they go in, you know, your name is on every single TV show. It's in all these ads and they're seeing all this stuff saying that they should vote for you. Or is it a better idea, let's say, to spend more of that money up front at the beginning such that by the time you get to the primary season, you're already so far ahead of all the other candidates because you've already been advertising the whole time that by the time that sort of final rush of ads comes out, you've basically already secured the nomination. So I think those are kind of the two main ideas. You know, sprinkling it out evenly across the middle, it sounds kind of dumb. I'm sure someone's done it. But I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Do you think as a campaign it's better to kind of stop or even as a voter like do you find yourself being persuaded later on in the process or do you feel like early on is really when it gets cemented because Ron DeSantis had a big lead in the polls over Trump frankly like last summer and then now at this point like all of that's been eroded away and I'm sure he's he's just saving money like a dragon on a nest of gold and at the very end of it he's going to have some big blitz of a campaign but you know, by not doing anything now, you know, he could just let the election slip away from him. And meanwhile, he's sitting on millions of dollars. I think DeSantis is being stupid. I think he should literally just hold on his money because I honestly think that other people are going to drop out. I don't think Ron DeSantis is that bad of a candidate that he's just going to fall apart and that no, he's not going to be a Scott Walker or Jeb Bush or somebody like that. I do, and the reason is, is that the quality of the candidates the GOP has is just not that strong. Like, sure, they have people that you're like, oh, yeah, this is like, everybody thinks Tim Scott is a decent candidate, for example, like a decent person. But he's not somebody that anybody really sees is going to be like the president of the country. 
I think there's a lot of people like that, like Asa Hutchinson, that Doug Burgum guy. Nick really wanted someone from North Dakota, and Doug Burgum ran. But, like, <laughs> there's a lot of them. And, and even Chris Christie. Like, that. I think Chris Christie, I honestly, like, in even when I go back to, like, 2016, 2015, Chris Christie was one of the best debaters on that stage. But Chris Christie's a good debater. But Chris Christie's not somebody that anybody's going to go vote for. But they're going to see, like, oh, man, he's a really good debater. He sounds really good on stage. But I think that's the thing with DeSantis is that DeSantis does have a base. So DeSantis needs to hold this out for the long haul. He needs to save his money and think strategically. He could be a, like, you know, important contender in the future whenever all these other people drop out. And I do think there is a flavor for Ron DeSantis that is missing in this whole cycle because you have to remember this. All these other people are important for criticizing Trump. Then you have Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is famous for not saying Trump's name. Now, by not saying Trump's name, he's currently at 20%. If he does say Trump's name, the question is, does his percentage numbers go up? And I argue maybe because there's like, if you are anti-Trump and there's all these anti-Trump candidates, when all the anti-Trump people all cancel, then what's going to happen? They're going to have to go to somebody. And I just think Chris Christie, I just think Ron DeSantis is that guy that everybody will go to because in the end, like he at least has a 20% base. He's not going to leave anytime soon. And all these other people are just kind of like, eh, we're here. Hmm. I think it made a lot of good points, but for me, I, I would argue for something like a reverse bell curve of spending, which means you spend a lot up front. Um, and, and so if you're selling something online, for instance, let, let's say you advertise a product, you drive traffic to the product, there's something called a halo effect, which means you'll actually still get traffic after the fact, just because people are still tagging on. There is a big influx of people that drives more people to go to that site and purchase that product. Well, I think the same is true probably in campaigns as well. And what you can do is in that in-between period, that's where you should be hitting Trump. That's where you should be getting news headlines. That's where you should be making your, your big cultural moves if you're DeSantis. So that's what I would do. Spend a lot up front. Make, people, make sure people know who you are. Um, after you get that that influx of, of people or support or, or 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 eyes, you take advantage of that by getting the headlines, actually going after Trump, really proposing what you want to uh, propose for your for your uh, for your candidacy, and hopefully you get enough support there. So when the time comes around to actually have the election, people do have short um, uh, short attention spans, but at the same time, if people don't know you, they're not going to vote for you regardless. No, oh, great. So point that's kind of what I would advocate there. But with that, let's move on to we got. Chris Christie, our favorite person. So liar and coward. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who is running for president, accused former ally Donald Trump of lying to his supporters about his indictment. Christie called Trump a liar and a coward and criticized his handling of classified national security information. Trump claimed the charges were fake, but Christie argued that Trump was indicted due to his behavior, including retaining classified documents and misleading lawyers. Christie also mentioned that Trump shared a classified U.S. contingency plan for a war with Iran with unauthorized individuals. Trump is seeking to postpone his trial until after the 2024 election. So we we have Chris Christie coming out here really being that attack dog that we talked about last week uh, that he should be doing. This is how he's going to get his name out there. So what are you guys' thoughts on Chris Christie at this point? I think if Chris Christie was Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis did what Chris Christie is doing, Ron DeSantis would have a solid 30 to 40%. But Chris Christie is scandal man himself. So, like, when you deal with a scandal person and, you know, it's critique, I mean, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> critique is the ultimate scandal. Were you going to talk about Bridgegate? Yes. 
<laughs> so um, when you deal with these scandals and when you deal with somebody like Chris Christie, Bridgegate and scandals that he's done like that in the past have kind of like hurt his like reputation. Plus, whenever he was running in the 2016, 2015, you know, primary cycle, a lot of people like, you know, left their sympathy and support for Chris Christie at the door whenever he decided to back Trump. That's like the two things that really like curtailed his entire campaign. And there's a reason why Ron Chris Christie, even though like, you know, he's like has all his friendship problems and all this other stuff. There's a reason why Chris Christie is attacking Trump is because he knows in the end of the day that his voter base were people that were anti-Trump. And now because he decided to join the Trump train, it kind of messed up his reputation with the voters and it left him on, you know, basically left him from that job. It kind of made him like, you know, lose all his reputation and credibility that he had. So now that he's back, he's doing what he should be doing from a strategic aspect. But obviously all Chris Christie is trying to do is saying like, you know, try to get sympathy that, oh, I used to be his best friend, but now like now at this moment, I want to alienate Trump because Trump is a terrible human being. But the thing is that it's for his own strategic advantage. And I just think people have like kind of like walked past, like they've kind of like seen that side already. Like they understand, like it hasn't really convinced anybody to join the Chris Christie train. And if it did, he would have got more supporters, but it hasn't because they just see him as somebody that, you know, was a Trump supporter. Trump kind of, you know, left him hanging. So now he's going to go against Trump because he needs to get his voters back because he lost all his voters whenever he decided to go back Trump. Yeah, I think Chris Christie really, I'm glad that he qualified for the debate that's coming up in August. And I hope Trump actually shows up because frankly, if Trump doesn't show up to these debates, I don't see how he loses the primary. I think if he's on stage and someone like Chris Christie can actually bring him to task and take him down on a bunch of key issues, I think Trump, you know, he might implode and he might actually not win. Uh, but without that, without someone like Chris Christie in the race, Trump is just going to clean sweep it. And as much as DeSantis has raised money and he's sitting on stuff, and I have to say the way Tyler framed it last time, I mean, it made a lot of sense. You know, Tyler's got a background in marketing. Uh, DeSantis, you just fired, you know, 10 people or less. There's clearly room on the team. Just hire Tyler here. He can run the campaign. I'd love to get $40,000 a year to work for <laughs> fucking governor of Florida. Oh Give me a break. God. Yeah, that's true. I guess they don't pay very well, but... In any case, it's it's for the are you not a patriot, Tyler? Uh, it's for love of country here with DeSantis, but what he's, is, he's what Italian is here. Slogan? He can pay you I, in I cheese. I still support. I still support Gary Johnson. Oh, Gary Johnson, dude. Gary Johnson, honestly, super impressive. Didn't he run like ultra marathons or something? Where's that? Yeah. Oh my God, Biden. He's you know physically Biden is not in the best of shape. Trump, you know Trump could probably if you gave Trump like another five ten years, I think you'd have to roll him around the stairs at a certain point. Um, he's just getting to that point. Uh, but that, oh God, I mean, when Chris Christie announced he was running, Trump just called him fat. <laughs> like that was all that happened. Literally. So, and the thing is, Trump's not a skinny guy. So I don't know. I guess that's, that's how it you is. Know, but. You know, the other problem with Ron DeSantis is that I was looking up what his slogan is, you know, like, you know, make America great again stands out. Great slogan. Yeah. Even, Reused even greater together or whatever, mm. whatever Hillary Clinton was and it stands mm. out stronger together. I think, um, Something yeah, like stronger that, together. Yeah. And then, um, build back better sounds stupid, but Hey, at least it stood yeah. out more than all the other people it's because positive. I don't remember any of the other democratic candidate slogans, but our greater America, great American comeback never back down is a terrible slogan. Like, it's so long that you can't remember that. What are Did, you thinking? Oh, DeSantis, 
great American comeback. Like it doesn't. It it's doesn't like one of those old sports movies where they've already produced like three or four, and now they're finally like on the fifth, and they're like, "All right, here's the great comeback. Like this is when it's all gonna change for the fifth time." <laughs> like if anything, he was better off doing like America First, baby, or some kind of like. Slogan oh my like god! That. Why would like, you put baby for T? Who knows, man? He's not a smooth he guy. Should just, it should just be like fuck Trump. Oh. Like that should be his campaign slogan. But um, I think that's a challenge that both. I think, as I've talked about before, Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis are foils of each other. Ron DeSantis needs to do what Chris Christie is doing along with what he himself is doing. And I do think that in the long run, he's still going to be the number two candidate. So I just think Ron DeSantis just needs to, you know, like just like stay in there and just, you know, wait for the best. Like he doesn't have anything to lose, really, because he knows all these other randos are going to drop out. Like, I don't Nobody's thinking Burgum and Hutchinson and any of these people are going to be like the next American president. So whenever all those other people drop out, and I'm guessing it's going to be right after the Iowa caucus when they get zero percent of the vote. Then, whenever that happens, Ron DeSantis will probably potentially be a good competitor in the Iowa caucus as it is anyway. So he's going to see a momentum boost just because he's really like the only real second option. Like, unless somebody like Nikki Haley or others like have like a bigger like momentum push, I think the thing is like Ron DeSantis, even though I've been the one that criticized him the most at all the people, all, all, all three, two of you guys, like, I still think that. He still, all he really needs to do is just hold off and wait for the best. Even if he loses, he's still going to lose being the number two candidate. So worst case, he'll just end up being like a future candidate in the future. But like, at least at the moment, that's what he needs to do. He just needs to start, um, you know, adapting some of Chris Christie's like rhetoric into his own campaign, you know, criticizing Trump, saying Trump is bad. But then he needs to still do what he's doing where he's focused on like what he's going to do. What is the DeSantis presidency going to look like? And I think he's the only one on stage doing that. All these other people are kind of slacking at that point. Can you actually give me an example of someone in the past, I don't know, 25 years that got second place and benefited from it? Uh, George Um, H.W. Bush. Bush Sr. Yeah, there's a few. There's not many, but there's a few. I mean, you could even argue that Joe Biden was like a seventh place candidate in his own primary. The dude became president because Obama decided to be inspired by the great Joe Biden. Like Hillary Clinton, second place. Sure, she lost, but she was still the Democratic candidate. Obama's team was actually smart. They picked Joe Biden, a guy who is the antithesis of Barack Obama and someone who appealed to a lot of the places that Barack Obama wasn't going to appeal to. And they rounded out the team that way. They complimented each other. Hillary Clinton chose Tim Kaine. When Tim Kaine was debating Mike Pence, you honestly couldn't tell which one was which. Like, they weren't different at all, which was was very strange. Because Tim Kaine, it's like, he was supposed to round out Hillary Clinton. One, he's a man. She's a woman. That's that's an easy whatever. It's like McCain's team picking Sarah Palin. Um, But, you know, for, for that, Tim Kaine, like... Do you even remember anything about him? Like, no, of course not. Like, he didn't stand out in any way. So He was more Biden than Biden. (laughs) (laughs) And another one that I think of second place is Mitt Romney. So way back in 2008, Mitt Romney was number two. I meant in terms of, like, running for, like, winning the presidency. Like, I'm saying, like, people that got second place and then it was never. I guess John Kerry. You rarely see it convert into actually being a president, though. They all benefited, Tyler, some way. You being second place actually helps you. It doesn't hurt you, really. But you being, like, eighth place 
and you being an absolute like crappy candidate now that that derails yeah. you like if somebody like i mean we we can't i mean trying to think back in the past aka chris christie like nobody cares about chris christie there was really no momentum in chris christie's run if anything when chris christie ran for president it hurt his it hurt his entire career in the future like he got nothing from it like that's an example of somebody that literally destroyed his entire career by running for president like you know there's certain candidates like certain people like that that you think of like yeah sure marco rubio if marco rubio was to run again tomorrow he'd still be known as rubio bot like he still get the same critic yeah. robot Rubio. He's get the same and criticism that he got before. I think but- Trump also said he wouldn't even be elected head dog catcher or something. Like Rubio got beaten <laughs> up on. Like he he like you were saying, there is a risk where if you run and it's too early and you're not politically mature enough yet in your career, then you could totally squander it because you know, for example, Andrew Yang. Is anyone going to take Andrew Yang seriously if he decided to run in like eight years? Probably not. Um, Ryan Paul. Okay. All right. That's fair. But hey, I wanted to say this. Okay. What is your take on this? Because we talked about uh, George H.W. Bush and whatever and coming in number two, Pratik, you were saying coming in number two may actually be a good idea because the next election cycle, you know, it could put you in a strong spot where people take you seriously. You're already coming in with momentum. It would be good for you. So coming in number two, not the worst thing in the world. However, as a voter, would you be happy about that? How would you feel if the Republicans, after this election cycle, 2024, let's say Trump runs and win or lose, right? He's He wouldn't be around the next time. Although, I guess if he lost, he would try to come back Wait, again. Wh- <laughs> but, why wouldn't he? If he won, if he won, he could still have another turn. No. Because there was a gap between his. Yeah, because I, th- if there's a gap there's, between there's your turns, no. you could. There's not. Oh, it's, a, no, it's, it's a eight years. Yeah. Term limit. Since, yeah, two since terms. FDR, oh, okay. they established that. Yeah. I, okay, because I knew FDR did it. That's why I thought it was yeah. applicable. No, yeah, no, no, man. It's FDR ran done. for four consecutive terms, man. Dude, he was a madman. Yeah. Dictator. <laughs> He's from, King no, FDR. <laughs> <laughs> King FDR. Yeah. But um, basically, I don't know. What do you guys think about the idea that, for example, when Hillary Clinton in 2008, she gets up there. She's like, it's my time. I should be president. And then Barack Obama beats her. Fair and square, she loses. And then 2016, she shows up. She's like, all right. It's my time to be president. I deserve this. And there wasn't a real primary, right? And then she loses. And finally, she's relegated to the dustbins of history, although she's still around and she is very smart and politically insightful. I will say that for her. Um, but if someone like DeSantis comes in number two here, do you think the next time around, like as a voter, would you be ex- would you be happy about that? Because I feel like if DeSantis came in number two here this time around, the next election cycle, he's just going to be like the presumptive nominee. And so like so many fewer people are going to be in the race as a result, which I think would be bad for the party overall and just American politics. It depends on how much momentum that Ron DeSantis actually has. And we don't know. But see, I give you this argument. In 2008, whenever John McCain was a candidate, there was a lot of voices out there that said, why is Mitt Romney not the candidate? Why are you putting this old dude that's like about to die as the president of the United States? Ironically, John McCain, you know, did die in like 2016, 2017, which would have been what would have happened had he become president, potentially. So it is that our question mark was there. But see, back then, that was like the thing like, oh, man, Mitt Romney, you look at Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney looks like a politician. He looks like somebody that could be a president. Then you look at John McCain and you're like, man, this guy looks like somebody that's like, you know, about to die tomorrow. 
And then nowadays you have, that's like the new modern trend. You need to have all the old people that are about to die tomorrow become your president. But back then that was like the criticism that John McCain would have. And John McCain for all it's worth was like probably one of the least hated Republicans from the Democratic side. But at the same time, they may vilify John McCain out to be like this terrible human being, which obviously whenever he went anti-Trump, John McCain became a superhero again. It only took, you know, him basically alienating all the people that supported him like, you know, eight years ago. To be fair, Pratik, Trump did Trump say he likes his war heroes not is, captured or something. That and is like fair. Went after yeah, McCain and on again, a personal level. Again. So I don't think he fine. owes him anything. But see, what I would tell you is that the people that remember, that people that actually go further in the campaigns are the people that, you know, in the end of the day, like look at all this stuff. If John McCain, like what we think about Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney has a lot of opinions. Mitt Romney may be one of the most insightful politicians that we have in this country. If anything, Mitt Romney and, John, and Joe Manchin might be two of the smartest people that we have in politics today. I would argue that. Now, if you, Don't say that. If you look <laughs> at it from that perspective, who cares about either of those people? Sure, jo- Joe Manchin is an independent candidate. He may have some flavor. If Mitt Romney decided to run as an independent candidate, he'd give Joe Manchin a run for his money. But I do think with those two people, like in the end, they're very intelligent, smart people. They're people that have ideas. They're people that have thoughts. They're people that have opinions. But with Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney was the candidate in 2012. People were very excited about Mitt Romney. The 2012 Republican primary basically saw like two candidates really going out and being big major candidates, Newt Gingrich and Mitt Romney. And out of that, Newt Gingrich kind of basically died out. People forgot who Newt Gingrich is. And then with Mitt Romney, like he was like the front runner, the face of the party. And then when they lost, the Republican Party is like, oh man, we need to rebrand. We need to do something completely different because we can't lose twice in a row. This is a disaster. So then they go out and then they try to make Jeb Bush their candidate and Scott Walker. Those were their two main front runners. And then out of all that randomly, this Donald Trump guy, this some business CEO that has nothing to do with politics, decides that he wants to become president all of a sudden. What I'm saying is all of these storylines and narratives matter, but with Mitt Romney, he killed off all the momentum and support that he would have had by running his mouth. The best thing that Mitt Romney could have done is not said anything. This is what you learn from politics. You want him to be a peg on a board, dude. You want Mitt Romney to just sit there and be a party apparatus, a member of the Republican establishment, no opinion, just go with it. What I would say is like, if Mitt Romney was a senator, then I would still respect him as somebody being like, okay, he has his own opinions. He has his own thoughts. He's like an individual person. You're voting for an individual. You're not voting for a party. I would say one thing with Mitt Romney though, is that whenever, whatever decisions you make, it doesn't matter who runs for president, whatever decisions you make, whenever you run for president or after you run for president, if you are the front runner of the party, if Hillary Clinton tomorrow decides to say a bunch of stupid stuff about Joe Biden, people remember that, oh man, I voted for this person. This person was somebody that I campaigned for. I did a lot of stuff in terms of donations to help this person win. And this person basically, you know, basically raised the middle finger on all the supporters who basically just transferred from one person to another. With Republicans and Democrats, no matter who you are, you could be like, you can literally have somebody like AOC replace Joe Biden. And no, Democrats, you couldn't. for the most part, uh, critique, what, no, 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 listen, listen to what I'm saying. Just listen to my argument. 
Democrats, for the most part, even if AOC is going to be very progressive, she's going to be very different, she's going to be very different from Joe Biden, and obviously she probably won't win. But you as a Democrat are still going to vote for the Democrat because she's a Democrat. Honestly, and I, I would wouldn't. say the same thing on the Republican side. I would not do that, Pratik. Maybe, maybe and not you. And you. You, would, you would inspire the okay, I would literally vote third party. Go out there okay, and vote more. Okay, but that's you. But most people in this country are going to no, be you would loyal just, to the party would just party lose it. No, I, and no, there's yeah. no party loyalty here. I think people at some level actually are individuals who are capable of thinking for themselves and they're a lot smarter than people give them credit for. Sure, you have all these, you know, things that you have to navigate around, you know, what is truth in a post-truth society? Like for example, Trump when he was talking about like his latest release, he was like, "Oh, I I put a truth out about it." It's like that is so like <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous to have like instead yeah. of saying, "Oh, someone's tweet." It's like, "Oh, I put this truth out there and that like literally gets you thinking like, oh, whatever this guy's saying, it's got to be right. Right. You know, just like these small little language things that we play in terms of these small language games. I think it does add up over time and you start to accept things that frankly you wouldn't have before. But all that being said, for example, AOC. No, I wouldn't vote for her. And frankly, I don't think most of the country would either because AOC is not like a a mainstream Democrat right now. The progressives would not win a national election. I know, for example, online, it's very popular, and especially for young people. For young people where if they don't see their concerns addressed for long enough, you know, they're going to skew hard left or hard right over time, and that's naturally going to happen in any society. But I think right now for the Democrats, you know, as much as Nancy Pelosi will get flack for it, when Nancy Pelosi comes out and says, oh, we are a capitalist party, we believe in, like, in capitalism, and then she gets, like, you know, excoriated online for, like, oh, my God, Nancy Pelosi said this to a college student that she believes in capitalism. How dare she? It's like there are a bunch of people who are discontent with capitalism and what that and whatnot among young people. But I think if you actually ended up running someone who is super hardcore against it, like AOC, like Bernie, like, they, they just wouldn't win the national election. And it's because people like me just wouldn't vote for them. I think Bernie would be a better example in this case. Okay, I I'm not, was I wasn't just trying. I was just trying to make an example, though. Is just that I feel like in politics, people just remember that they just remember who they voted for. They don't even really remember the primary cycle. So you remember, oh, this was the candidate of that party. This is who I supported, and then that's it. Like I could have right. probably, I probably, I think I voted for Marco Rubio in the primary, but I don't really remember. I don't really care. But I but think you'll remember if like, you don't like someone. For example, I didn't like Ted Cruz during the primary process in 2016. That stuck with me, and I still have a bad opinion of Ted Cruz, even though I think the guy's really smart. Like I, I just he turned me off so much with his campaign that. Yeah. This is a psychology question because I don't really know the answer to this. If you're a Democrat, and let's say that. If you're a hardcore Democrat, when I say hardcore, I mean you will always vote for the Democratic Party sure. because there are certain principles that you value and you adhere to. Right. And the Republicans are never going to value that. Now, right. if you're if you're that person, and let's say that you know Joe Biden is the president today, tomorrow Bernie Sanders runs. If you are not progressive, but you are still a Democrat, and your other option is Donald Trump on the other end of the aisle, what would you do? Would you still vote Democrat or would you vote third party? My argument is, and again, I don't know what the answer is, but my argument is that most people that are Democrats, the same way most people that are Republicans, no matter how, you know, what end of the spectrum that candidate is, they're still going to support the party that they believe in because in the end, the the party fights for values that they adhere to and that they care about. Someone that's pro-life is not going to just start voting Democrat because they didn't really like the candidate. That's my thought. Yeah, I don't know let, if that's let, the right me, answer, though. 
I, I, I think you're missing a piece of the puzzle, okay. which is if you don't inspire people to vote, they won't vote. So even if you have a large portion of people that will still vote for them, it's not going to be enough to counter the fact that you have a lot of people not even showing up because they just don't care enough about that candidate to show up. And you're not accounting for the fact that the other side is going to be so inspired to vote against what they see as an evil. Let's say someone that is a socialist in America that they're going to lose. So I think that's the X factor that's not being included in that example. Yeah. Um, first. Yeah. I, like, for example, like Hillary Clinton wasn't getting people out to vote for her. Like maybe there were some women who were really excited about voting for a woman. And that would have been a, an absolutely monumental moment in this country. But at the same time, it was Hillary Clinton. Like you just because, you know, oh, my God, is she? Just I don't know. There's so many things that I didn't like about her campaign. No, especially because like the, just the way she went about her campaign. That's the thing. It's like I think, frankly, like listening to some of the stuff that Hillary Clinton has said over the years, I think she's really insightful. She knows what she's talking about. She's clearly like really smart. And I think she would, you know, do well as president. You know, I if she, yeah. if Hillary Clinton was running in this next election versus Donald Trump, I would vote for Hillary Clinton. But, you know, at the same time, Hillary Clinton, like, I wouldn't be excited about it. Like, I wouldn't actually, if anything, like, if I was really on the edge, if I was really one yeah. of those voters where it's like, ah, you know, I don't really know. Like, Trump, for all of his faults, people actually like the guy. The people that are his supporters really like him. And they'll show up and they will vote. But people who really supported Hillary Clinton, like... You know, who is out there like at two in the morning being like, oh, man, I can't wait to vote for Hillary Clinton like she. Yeah. Anyway, I may be missing the point uh, here, but take one thing. I think um, I think you're right in terms of most people. It's just those few million votes that dictate the entire election. That's what I'm thinking of, where it's like those people that otherwise might have voted if they actually cared about the candidate just wouldn't show up. And that's a really good point, by the way. For example, with the Electoral College, the way it is, the way we do voting, you know, if a few million people actually, yeah, you could have a couple million people in California just stay home and the Democrats would still win. (laughs) But then if you go to a swing (laughs) state like Wisconsin or something, then if those people stay home, you lose the entire election. So it actually is very consequential. And I think that's part of the beauty of the primary process is like, yes, if the parties just selected whoever they wanted to run, like, for example, in the UK, like, it's not like you're going out to the average person and saying, oh, do you want Boris Johnson to represent you? Like, no, the party is deciding who they want to run. And then you vote for that, right? You're, you're basically voting for the party in a sense. Um, and so over here, what I actually like is that you are voting for the individual. So, you know, if AOC ran on the Democrat ticket and she won, that would be wonderful for her. Good for her. That would actually be... I think that would be really hard to do, but, you know, good for her if she does that. Um, And I think that would then show that enough voters would actually want to vote for her on the national election. However, if she was decided by fiat that, oh, now AOC is going to be the candidate, no one else is allowed to run, I think you would pretty quickly find out. And and that's why I like the primary process, because you actually have to put these people up head to head with other people. You know, more often than not, you end up having someone who trends a little bit more towards the center. So, for example, Marianne Williamson running right now. Like she's never going to win. Maybe, but maybe, you know, in one of her lanes, she'll shift the party a little bit to the left, and that would still be a win. Because if Marion Williamson gets her ideas about reparations out there, like that's the main focus of her campaign at this point. And so if she's able to do that, you know, even if she loses, I don't know, in a way, I would, I would see it as a win for her campaign. And, you know, it kind of shifts the national conversation where even if your candidate doesn't win, your ideas still do in a way. So anyway. 
Well, can, can we just, uh, just as a brief aside, the fact that the caucus primary system always starts with, like, the same stage, how ridiculous that is. Yeah. Can we shuffle that up a bit? Apart, That's, like, to me, it's just such a toxic thing that we have, like, Iowa dictating the trajectory of our presidential and New Hampshire every time. But, and New Hampshire is just, like, states. so stupid to me. Like, we should have a randomized <laughs> shuffle of which state. And I understand you'll give more power to the seats that go first. But fucking Iowa, guys, that's why we have so much fucking corn in this country. <laughs> let's, let's, let's stop the corn. Uh, stop the corn lobby and, and do corn lobby. I although I will say I think it. You know this is going to sound a little ridiculous, maybe, but I don't think that every state should be allowed to be in that rotation. And here's why: I think if you have California as the first state on the stop for the Democratic Party, like I just don't think anything would happen. Like for example, all these candidates, what they do for the early states is they want to build momentum, so they invest a lot of time and effort yeah, actually exactly. meeting with constituents from those states that frankly no one cares about otherwise. No that's, one cares about New saying. Hampshire, no one cares about Maine, no one cares about Iowa, but you know what? When the presidential primaries are all around and now oh shit, we have to care about these people because we want their votes, then you know, in a way, I actually think that's good for the country because the rest of the time, like California is an absolute powerhouse. New York, absolute powerhouse. Florida, very important. During the like, but the early primary process, I just think without it, like so many of these small states, like no one would ever care about them. Why, and what okay, they want. but why not? Why not Missouri? I don't know. Like, why not Arkansas? No, like, I, my just, argument like, so is arbitrary. very weak. I, I think, just no, but I, I just would, don't like California would, being. What I would curtail with state. Nick's argument is just that you think about this: who is the people that are actually deciding who's going to win the election? Those states do matter a lot. Middle-aged white think, women. Like no, no, no. But what I'm saying is like California, Texas, Florida. Those states matter a no, lot. Right. Sure, sure. That's the states where everybody is like trying to pitch for to try to win because those are really the states that matter. No one's really going to Iowa's not going to change an election. Maybe. But it's if it's very close. But then at the same time, like if you're looking at some from primary cycle wise, from the Democratic primary side, like these are the people that are going to dictate who's going to win the election. Like if California votes Democrat and Republican, Texas votes Republican, those are like you know foundational states that they have to win for them to win the election. So with that, like when you deal with certain states like California, New York, Texas, and Florida, why don't they allow primary cycles to actually begin there? Because in the end, like you're talking about primary cycles, Democrats that are voting in California are going to change the election. Why don't they focus on trying that? Why don't they have like the primary cycle there where the voters there can decide who which primary candidate they like more? Because they know that it's going to be them winning anyway. So like they know California is going to go Democrat. So they should have more focus on those primary contestants to actually make it a more democratic election. That's what I would think because again like I would I was never predicted a correct presidential candidate in I think in the last like 10 10 years. The last like 12 years, the last 3 elections that have happened. They're always wrong. So why even worry about Iowa? Like we that's how they should do it because that's the people that are actually impacting these elections are these big states. So they should start their primary cycles in their big states. Like sure like California is not going to vote Republican, but it gives you an idea. 
that oh this is this is how far you know left you can go with california and then on the right like whenever you go texas like sure they i mean you always end up having the most moderate candidates win anyway so then in texas when they run like you will get an idea like oh which is the republican that's gonna win here that's the republican we should go with who's the democrat that's gonna win here okay that's the democrat that we need to have more in our short list because they're able to win more of the you know right you know potentially right-leaning democrats like that's what they should do, but they don't. If anything, the problem with their system is it's actually democratic because we try undemocratic because we try to value all these pointless states that really don't matter. Like Iowa, for example. Like Iowa is not going to shake or break an election. Like nobody cares. Iowa's gonna vote Republican anyway, no matter who it is. It could be the most like, you know, left wing wacko running in the Republican Party, and the Iowa will still vote Republican. So, like, to me, I just think that that system should just be reversed in that way. Sorry, I went on a rant, but... No, you're totally good. And the last thing I wanted to say is that, you know, as much as I'm railing against the the machine of hosting it in just a couple states, and to be fair, that was Tyler's original idea, not to co-opt it or anything, but um, (laughs) I guess I will here, repurposing it, uh, the same way that the Republican candidates are repurposing Trump's ideas, um, and the same way that the Dems Uh would repurpose Biden's ideas... (laughs) if they were to actually run. But um, I just wanted to say that I think it's actually up to the states. Like, I think the states actually end up determining when they want their election to be held or when they want their primary Hmm. process to be held. I'm sure the RNC and DNC have sort of input on that. But I think fundamentally, like, it is up to the states to actually have a law on the books to say when you're going to vote for something. And so I, I think ultimately it would be up to the states. So it would be kind of funny in a way to have California come out and say, like, you know what? Let's be the first. <laughs> let's just yeah. let's vote a full two you're, years in advance. Yeah, I was about to say you're like you're like North Dakota, and you're like, guys, we need some sway. Four years in advance, we're gonna primary for the election. We're selling futures options for the presidential primary exactly. process. <laughs> oh my god! But hey, with that, let's get on to our last major story. Going abroad here, we have boots on the ground. Biden plans to make Europe great again. So we have President Joe Biden signed an executive order making up to. 3,000 American reservists available to support NATO's efforts in Europe amid the ongoing war in Ukraine. The order aims to enhance Operation Atlantic Resolve, which began after Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine in 2014. The reservists will augment existing forces and provide flexibility in addressing specific tasks. This decision uh, follows discussions with Ukrainian President Zelensky and NATO leaders who expressed support for Ukraine's future membership and assistance in strengthening its defense capabilities. So, We're seeing here an escalation, although it is just a few thousand troops. The fact that we might provide troops on the ground in in Ukraine um, is a bit of a scary thought. It's like, are we headed towards a World War III situation here? So what are you guys' thoughts on this story? I think that, um, to me, this is the thing with war, is that they always talk about trying to prevent, you know, military soldiers from going into the battlefield. And obviously, like, you know, it's a good fight. It's a good thing that we care for is like, obviously, in the modern day, there's most of the war that happens or should happen should happen through machinery, eliminating the amount of actual, you know, civilian casualties or civil like civilian soldiers going into the war. Except if you live it's all there. just battle I mean, bots. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> some robot dog decides you should die. Like a Terminator war going on outside. The whole convo is very Jeez. hypocritical. Like, we try to, like, you know, try to, like, oh, man, American soldiers don't need to get harmed. But what about all them Ukrainian and Russians, Russian citizens over there murdering each other because we don't want to get our Americans uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Pratik. Do you not believe in America first? Oh, man, America first all the way. But still. <laughs> so why do we I care? I would just... 
No, Fatigue wants to make Europe great again. Yeah, that's yeah, why. of course. But that's, I think, it's just, this is hypocritical to me that we always, like, talk about this, like, oh, man, we need to try to reduce the amount of American forces that went there. If Ironically, if we did send American forces into the Ukraine-Russia battle, I really think that the war would have, wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. Sure, we have all these arguments and theories and thoughts about it, but the war literally wasn't supposed to last as long as it did. But it did. And the irony about it is that Biden still doesn't know who what what Vladimir Vladimir Zelensky's real name is he was calling him Vladimir so like to me i just think that this stuff actually hurts biden overall but it's stupid like this is just stuff that you know like we republican whoever's the minority party whichever the party is is not in power they're always complaining about stupid things this is one of them like oh man if they send troops they're gonna be like how do they send troops this is such a uh, this is such a travesty how can they do this We're not and if they to. send troops if they don't send troops the same people will be like oh man if we set these troops they would argue the same thing i did though this war would have no, ended last and longer like, blah, america's blah, blah, blah. weak we're doing nothing exactly <laughs> and so then at the same I time they're like we're stupid. doing too much and i think yeah. this wars are one of those things that americans just need to get together and just like you know chill out like what difference does it make we're all we should all be supporting ukraine to stop russia from attacking them like it doesn't matter if you're a republican yeah, or a this Democrat. is a complicated like, issue it's not as clear as good and evil like there's a lot of interesting dynamics yeah. going on i can i understand both sides i understand bring you know, troops don't want troops over there. We just want to worry about American first. We shouldn't be playing this geopolitical game. We're trying to create a balance of powers globally, and we can't do that if we're effectively pushing our borders to Russia. But at the same time, Russia did invade them. Um, but also, we know there's so much, you know, corruption that's gone on in Ukraine. Who could even trust what's going on there? So a lot of misinformation on both sides. It's hard to actually come to, a, like, a very clear consensus conclusion on that. That's why I don't think people are all about it. And it's also all the way across the world. People aren't as invested as something that's more local. And we're also just can't be invested in things where we don't have troops. I don't think you inspire the American citizens to even care about anything unless their lives are specifically at risk, despite the amount of funding we've provided. You know, it's funny. I think neocons are right to support Ukraine and that the majority of the MAGA Republican Party, they're, they're just idiots. I don't know. That's that's my little take there. And it's because they can't see beyond our own borders, which is so funny. It's like they're obsessed with the uh, U.S.-Mexico border, which makes a lot of sense because it's right here. Okay, but and then at the same time, they say the rest of the world should respect the United States. We need to stand for something. We need to actually get something done. You know, our allies, you know, they need to pull their fair weight and all that stuff. And then when it comes to things happening around the world, you know, anytime something bad happens, we're like, oh, why isn't the United States doing something about that? And it's usually a lot of Republicans who say, why aren't we getting involved? Like if there was a genocide tomorrow in the Congo, we would be like, oh, someone should do something about that. That's not OK for there to be a genocide in the Congo. And then it's like, all right, well, should we send stuff over there? They'd be like, no. <laughs> no, we shouldn't do anything about it. So, you know, this is the classic thing of America's always going to be isolationist because of our geography. We're just not close to any of this stuff. You know, if things were going on in South America all the time, then I think we would be a lot more interested in something like that. But, you know, Ukraine and Russia, that's so far away. And it's ancient history to a lot of people. And to be fair, like, as much as I am, like, on the side of, you know, Russia is waging a war of aggression that is totally unjustified in the Ukraine at the same time I'm thinking that, you know, it's like what there's no long term history of the United States and Ukraine being friendly. Ukraine used to be part of the USSR. Like there's no love there. 
Like, we don't have this long history of the U.S. and Ukraine supporting each other. So this is like a very new thing. And it's only because, you know, we're trying Russia. to limit Russia's influence. And we want, like you were saying, Tyler, balance of powers. If they invade another country, we're supposed to come down and say no. Like, you will be retaliated against. And for so long, we've chosen sanctions. And we also, like, the U.S. has done this for, like, 60 years, 70 years, whatever. There's a bunch of books out on this where whenever a conflict erupts, our first thing to do is never American troops on the ground. This country has never been supportive of that. They never will be. And it's always just going to be weapons and training the locals. Unless something gets to the point of Vietnam, for example, we tried that with Vietnam. And then it got so out of control. The South Vietnamese were so just inept militarily that we ended up sending troops over there. And look how that turned out. It was terrible. Um, yeah, go That's ahead. That's the story. That's the narrative of every war nowadays. Like every war that we've like, you know, tried to like expedite by just sending people there, even though we don't actually call it a war. We haven't really had a war since the 1960s, I don't think. Even Iraq wasn't technically well, Desert a war. Storm, it was just an when we actually won. That's true. Kuwait mm. war. It was, it was but, like 30 days, though. Yeah, right? and the U.S. military yeah, kicked ass. Really and, but see, you know, people that, were actually, yeah. you know. See, whenever we send troops like that, we win. But we don't send troops. We like to allow the locals to fight their own battles. So then we're sending millions of dollars down, you know, of taxpayer money to these people that we have zero clue who they are. And then. But sending troops and sending troops against Russia are different. Sending troops against a world power and sending troops that's to Yeah, like a nuclear nation versus. And, and I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. But still, you've done everything but do that. Like, we've invested more money. We've invested more capital. We've invested, we've spent money on building, you know, intense weapons that can destroy Russia to but not American prevent sending for troops. I, I get it. But it's like, you know, it's one of those that you're, yeah, you're not, you're not sending American lives. But you're spending the amount of hard work and, you know, capital of those, you know, those taxpayers that have literally, you know, working from day to day. So then you could protect them. So then you can invest in all these fancy missiles and that are spent like, you know, billions of dollars. So you don't, you know, fight a war with them. You don't send military. And I get it. The argument is there, but you're not doing anybody a favor. You're not, you're not sending the person there, but you're taking all the money and basically robbing him of his money by, you know, by not sending him there. It doesn't critique. really accomplish anything. I have two important I mean, points here. Yeah. One, I just have to get in one final dig at the Republicans. Okay, sure. because Tucker Carlson, when he <laughs> interviewed a bunch Screw of people, that guy. now he he's like, fired. Oh, oh, why don't we just send the U.S. military members instead of sending these people to near Ukraine? Why don't we send them along the U.S.-Mexico border? And I like how I think it was Asa Hutchinson. He was like, we don't train our military members to be police officers. Like we he didn't say this, but it's like we literally train members of the military to kill people. Like, why would you have a bunch of people who are trained to kill people against a bunch of Mexican civilians who are crossing the border? Like, it doesn't really make any sense. The National Guard would make a lot of sense. But, like, active duty troops or something, it doesn't make any sense. But the second thing uh, that I wanted to say is that I think the Biden team is going to lose because of bad meme PR. And what I'm saying there is that they instead of sending 3,000 troops to the surrounding area, they should have just sent 300. And then it would be memed about to all the, the end of time. It's like, oh, we're sending 300 American troops and they're just going to sit there. And you know what? That's going to keep the peace. And, you know, Biden would get totally blasted by that. It would be a whole thing. But you know what? It would be for the memes. And I think at the end of the day, the memes are what's going to determine the next president. Speaking of memes, we should talk about the Biden memes. It's about him being the classic gaff master. So Biden thinks Zelensky is Putin. 
So during the NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania, President Joe Biden found himself in the spotlight once more when he accidentally called his Ukrainian counterpart, Vladimir. Vladimir and I, I shouldn't be so familiar, remarked Biden during a press conference. He then quickly recognized his error and acted like he didn't make a mistake and rectified his next sentence, saying Mr. Zelensky and I discussed the kind of assurances we could provide in the meantime when I was in Ukraine and when we met elsewhere. Classic gaffe master Biden. Basically, what Biden did was he basically thought, he basically confused Vladimir Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky and Vladimir Putin calling him Vladimir, which, I mean, Vladimir and Vladimir are pretty similar, but Volodymyr. it's not Volodymyr, yeah. whatever. But still, at the same time, I mean, I mean, you're the guy is literally fighting Vladimir Putin. You're at a war. You're spending millions of taxpayer money dollars on this war to help, you know, the Ukrainians defeat the Russians. But you should, at a minimum, get their names right because it's kind of stupid whenever you're going on their world stage and you're talking to these people and you're basically calling somebody by his worst enemy's name, that doesn't make any sense to me. But that's Biden. That's what he does. So, you know, Biden just got to do what Biden does. It helps him win. It's pretty sad. Um, I mean, so for me, I think of like Obama, who will go to different places. He'll actually speak their language, and he'll adopt their cultural mannerisms. He's very sophisticated in that regard. And like when, when you're the president and you're trying to, to show your might and your power and you go to these places and you're speaking at the NATO summit, you have an obligation to be precise about your language because lives can be lost based off mispronunciations. And that's part of the problem with Biden. We got this guy that he's just losing his mind. He's losing his mind, and if you're the president, you need to know what you're talking about. You either need to be brief to know what you're talking about, or you have to study to know what you're talking about. And in his case, he might just not be capable of that, which to me is a big sign of weakness. I mean, obviously, I'm not a, the biggest Biden fan, but like this is nobody should be supporting this. It might seem like a small thing, but it happens so frequently. Are we just going to wait till he makes a massive blunder that it makes America look absolutely stupid? I don't think we should. And it's just disappointing that we have to have these conversations every week. But hey, we get content, so it is what it is. So let's move on to the final story. Um, the man who paid himself. Nick, you want to tell us about the your boy, George Santos? Is he your boy? Oh, he's Tell definitely He's my, back, baby. He's, he's my back. boy. He's I didn't think he was important. He's okay. all our boys. <laughs> so the infamous U.S. house rep from New York, George Santos, from Long Island, has made a bold move to repay himself $85,000 from his re-election fundraising campaign funds. So he's facing charges of financial crimes, including embezzlement, and he withdrew the funds to repay the substantial loans he made to secure his victory in 2022. Despite this uphill battle, he remains determined to get re-elected, even though Republicans are telling him to resign. So Pratik and Tyler, what do you think about America's sweetheart, George Santos? I think that it would be the funniest thing in the world if George Santos gets re-elected. <laughs> To me, I just think that's like the whole system is like terrible. If this guy can go through embezzlement, make up his identity, fake himself, make himself something different from what he actually is, dupe billions of millions of people into supporting him and taking all their money and, you know, trying to act like he's a whole other person and then still manage to win. To me, I think this is like a soap opera sto reality show story. This is a story that we need to put in the history books. A Netflix show on George Santos. He's going to be rich. You know what? Actually, that would be fantastic because they are going to do a show about this guy. And if he <laughs> ends up 
selling the rights to it, he's going to make a lot of money, and then he'll use the money from those rights to either forge in a completely new identity and run on a totally different name, or, you know, start to mount a he's comeback gonna, and build a cult following. Well, if he gets that much money, he's going to do plastic surgery, and then people will not know he's George Santos, and then he'll run again. That's the way to do it. Guys, George Santos, here's the deal. This has all been leading up to George Santos's presidential run in 2024, <laughs> where he, he'll storm the debate stage and just wipe out everyone with... You know, all, all of his antics. Oh, no, but look, I mean, I think that he's living the American dream to have caused all of that bullshit in his life and to basically get away he with it all. He needs to switch and, parties, like, man. The Republicans already got too many candidates. They need someone else in the Democratic no, no, Party. I disagree. I need, Biden, a run for his I, money. <laughs> I need Santos and Trump on a debate stage just going after each other. I, I think Santos, look, he would do better than <laughs> Asa Hutchinson. Santos would probably win. <laughs> he, you pretty well. <laughs> probably win. Trump wouldn't like, know what to do with it. Exactly. Like, he, he, he's the only guy that can out-Trump Trump. And we have evidence of this. So with that, you know, that's my candidate going into this next election. I'm very hopeful for the future of this country and, and, and the future of this podcast, quite frankly. It's going to be an exciting one over the next two years as we cover all these political elections, what's going around, on around the world. So as always, please follow us. Please share us. We really, really do appreciate it. With that, any final comments, guys? No, man. Just don't. Let's just hope that George Santos doesn't make America great again. It'd be Ooh, a sad He day already has. A little late there. But anyways, episode 139 of Platicana. We'll catch you next week. Later.